Hello, and welcome to our Purposefully Prepared series, Episode 3. Today we're talking about the pieces of your overall estate plan and making sure that they speak to and coordinate with the other. Here's where we'll start. There are some wills and trusts that don't work, and that usually shocks people. People think that a will is all-encompassing and all-controlling, and that the will sits here, and what the will says controls everything else. And that's not true. So if you hold, for example, accounts, bank accounts, checking, savings, other types of accounts as joint tenants with right of survivorship, I want you to know that that has nothing to do with what your will says. As a joint account owner, you each own a percentage of that account. So if you own it with another person, you each own 50% of that account. Also know that at any time, one of those joint owners can walk into the bank and withdraw 100% of what's in that account without the consent of the other. So I, I like to use a story to show how this may work. We have clients who typically have children, and in the example that I use to illustrate this point, I say that, let's say you are a widow or widower, and you have three children, except one of those children lives in town with you, and the other two live elsewhere in the country, and that's usually the setup. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing. But the in-town child is the one that you rely upon, and for convenience purposes, you put onto your joint account. And I understand the reason for doing that, but here's how this unfolds. So you are out with your son, and he's taking you out for brunch. This is the in-town child. And while on the road, you get hit by another vehicle. Unfortunately, you die. Your son is living, but he's in a coma. And so he is on the account with you and is a joint owner. And so naturally, if you've passed away, he then becomes the sole owner of that account. But what can he do with that account? Nothing. He's in a coma. So who can act on that account for him? Well, hopefully, if he's been listening to our series or understands how this works, he's put powers of attorney into play. And if he has, who has he named as his agent under the power of attorney if he's married? You guessed it. His wife, which makes her your daughter-in-law. She's the one that can act on the account and can do anything she wants with that money so long as her husband, your son, is still in a coma. Let's say he's restored and he makes a full recovery from that car accident. You're still deceased. Well, it became very apparent to the other two of your children that they did not inherit that account even though your will up here said everything I have goes to my three children in equal shares. 
that didn't happen because you had a joint account designation. The in-town child would get the entire amount of that account. And I know who you are out there. I see a lot of you holding $200,000, $300,000 in a bank account. He is the rightful legal owner of that account and does not have to share it with the other two children. He may or he may not. That's the risk you run. The other pitfall, just like joint accounts, that you need to be aware of so that you are clear on how your estate will play out if you should die, is designated beneficiaries. So these are designations that are on qualified accounts, which are pre-tax dollars, pre-tax um, investments that are tax deferred and that grow compounded. These are IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, 457s, Roths. These are qualified accounts. And they usually have beneficiaries designated to them that if you, the account owner, pass away, those are the people that would inherit that account. People also have life insurance with designated beneficiaries to them. And so again, on your life insurance policy, on your annuity, the designated beneficiary is the one that would receive the balance in that account at the time of your death, having nothing to do with your will. So joint accounts, life insurance, qualified accounts, annuities all fall outside of probate and are not controlled by the terms of your will. So if it is your intention to name all three children in that example, and not just one, you'll want to make sure that your designated beneficiary forms are filled out completely and accurately. And please remember, do not stop at the primary beneficiary level. Go to the contingent beneficiary level, secondary, or what's also known as tertiary, number three, or quaternary, number four. And again, you do that because these accounts fall outside of probate. If your succession in your beneficiary designations is not deep enough, so for example, you just name your spouse, and by the time you died, your spouse had already died, or you died together, and there's no contingent, there's no one in the second spot, then the account will fall into your estate. And that's not what you would have intended had you known what happens once it does fall into your estate. So creditors can access what falls into the estate if you die with creditors. Remember, it's not the people that collect debt while they're living. It's what happens if they get sick and then die where, for example, medical expenses can become debt that could be collected from your estate. Because those assets, annuities, life insurance, qualified accounts, avoid probate, you don't want them falling into your estate simply because you didn't name beneficiaries in enough depth of succession. This would be a good time to check your designated beneficiary forms. I have many people that think that their forms say something specific when in fact it doesn't. 
or they realize that at the time they only named a spouse and didn't name children or other family members. So always ask for updated current beneficiary designations from your financial institutions and then have it printed and saved in your file, in your safe at home in case there's ever a discrepancy between what the company had on its record and what you thought it said. There's also a designation called POD, pay on death, and that's usually associated with stocks, for example, and TOD, transfer on death, and these are usually designations found on accounts. These also avoid probate, and they are also not controlled by the terms of your will. So be careful if you have a POD or TOD, only that beneficiary will receive that account. Now that might be something that you do strategically to avoid probate, and that's usually the purpose of those designations, but also understand that if you have a POD or TOD designation and that person isn't alive when you die, then there'll be nowhere else for that account to go. Another unfortunate circumstance is when a trust, even though you have it, doesn't work. And I've seen this on more occasions than I care to know, where a trust is valid but not effective because it's missing a very key step, which is called funding. Funding. And so this is where the title to assets would be changed from your name to the name of the trust. And this is a critical step in making the trust effective. Without that, the trust will be ineffective. And so somebody might have a beautiful trust that is valid because it's signed, but ineffective because it's not funded, the trust doesn't hold anything, and so the terms of the trust don't control anything. So these are ways that you can learn from the mistakes of others, and I hope you find it helpful. Looking forward to seeing you at the next Purposefully Prepared episode.